Hi, and welcome to Cameron's Baptist Church Sermons Podcast. We hope you're blessed by today's message. I think we're on. We're cooking. We're cooking. <laughs> well, thank you, Robson, and thank you to the whole family here at the church for... Um, making so and I feel so welcome this weekend and uh, taking us to your heart so quickly. It's been a, a true privilege for me to come and share and minister amongst you. Um, God's truly been here and what makes it easy for a teacher preacher is when you know you're standing before receptive people who just want to soak in the word of God and the presence of God. And so it's been really great to be here this weekend and to share with you. You have been a true blessing to us this weekend. And we leave here because of your ministry, refreshed and renewed. So thank you for that. I'm going to uh, bring the word of God to you this morning. And I'm going to do that by turning to Ephesians and chapter 3. Ephesians... Sorry, have you got my reading glasses there? There, thank you. And chapter 3. I was going to read a bit of this this morning, um, but... When my father apparently named me as a child, he named me Paul Stephen. And he said, I want my son to have the wisdom of Paul and the faith of Stephen. I'm still striving for that. But I have got to say that I do feel a particular affinity to the Apostle Paul, the way he writes, the passion with which he writes. And um, boy, oh boy, it comes through in chapters 3 and 4. So sit tight. Here we go. Paul, chapter 3. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. He starts to say something, now he pauses and he says, "Um, Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. Uh, Mystery, by the way... um, when it's used here in the New Testament lies, it's talking about the revelation of God. It's not like secret information that only a few people can have. But through Jesus Christ and his coming, dying on the cross, rising from the dead, the Holy Spirit of God coming, bringing the revelation of God, we see, now we can see is uncovered. The truth hits our hearts. So that's the mystery. It's the gospel revealed. Um, And this mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. In reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which has not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. Members together of one body and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. 
I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, the making plain, the administration, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's you guys. That's what you've been called to be and to do. By his power. In him and through him and faith in him we may approach God with freedom and confidence I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and earth derives its name. That means its character. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power, through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray, he hasn't finished yet, that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints. There's a power in unity, brothers and sisters. Power with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Slow down, Paul, I'm having trouble here. <laughs> I'm, I'm talking to the apostle. <laughs> he gets excited. Man alive. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. It will blow your mind. That's the revelation of God that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I haven't finished. <laughs> As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. You see? Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. 
This is why he says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean? Except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people. It's your work. For works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. I'm going to stop there. What a passage of scripture that is. The fullness of life in the fullness of the Spirit. That's my title. The fullness of life in the fullness of the Spirit. Well, I've retired, technically, which means... I'm going to have to put this somewhere. I've, I've retired, technically, but I, I've not retired from the kingdom of God. I've not retired from service. I've not retired from preaching. I just don't do it so often. That's the joy of retirement. Now, I live up in Cumbria. Church life is very different up there. But one of, of my constant observations over decades now of church life is a willingness for the church, I'm generalising now, across the country to often settle for second best. There you are. By that I mean to live a life less than the one that God wants for us. Did you just hear what I was reading from the Apostle Paul? That's normal Christian life. That's, that's normality in the kingdom of God. And then you think, how are we doing in this nation? How are we doing? Are we normal? Good question. I've never been normal. That's my, yeah, I know, dear. Yeah. Maybe I'll just backtrack a little bit to the beginning of this chapter and just say to you, the opening two chapters capture something of Paul's love for the good news message. This wonderful gospel powered by the Spirit of God, which brings relief and a new life. Commissioned by God to declare. The good news message declares the wonderful blessings that are available to us because of Jesus Christ. The good news message declares the nature of the life that Christ has brought into being by his death and resurrection. And we see that recorded in Ephesians' first chapter there in verses 4 to 6. But Paul makes it abundantly clear that the blessings of this good news message are not earned, but undeservedly given. Are you worthy to be a follower of Jesus Christ this morning if you don't know him? No. Forget it. Do you deserve 
to follow Jesus Christ. Now you're done. <laughs> you're lost. What makes a difference? God. Who so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. You know the word of God says that Christ was slain before the foundation of the world. His intent was to sacrifice himself for you before you were born. That's how much he loves you and cares for you. Why? Because there's nothing we could do from our default of being sinners to earn the right to be with him. So he's done it. He's done it. The gospel comes to us by grace, by God's immense love for us. By grace we are made alive in Christ. That's chapter 2. And there in chapter 2, Paul points out that this good news message reaches its full potential. All that we can be and do, he says, reaches its full potential in unity. Now, I'm sure you felt it over this weekend. Let me give a small example of this. You're at home, you open your Bible, you're caught with the wonder of God, and you give thanks, and still you ache. You've done the best you can on your own. God has been honoured. You've done all you can do. But then you come and worship in the body of Christ. And it brings a greater release. And there's, there's something greater than the sum of its parts. So when we come together, I don't know how many are here this morning, I'm not bothering to count. But when we come together... The worship is more powerful than the sum total of the number of people here. There's a dynamic at work. There's a unity at work. God worked in his greatest power in unity. Amen. Amen. So we come to chapter 3. Through the spirit-filled unity of God's people, God chooses to make himself known even to the principalities and powers in the heavenly. When Christ's church are in unity, it roars at the principalities and powers in heaven. There's power beyond our realisation. You know, visions are really metaphors for what God is trying to say. They're not literal things. But I was saying to someone yesterday that um, often when I've been in prayer, uh, uh, sorry, in worship in, in my old church before I retired. We'd be worshiping. On a Sunday evening, we'd only probably have about 30 people out. But I'd make sure we had a band out and everything. And, and we, used to, we used to go for it anyway. And we used to worship. And I had one night in particular, I was praying. And we were singing that song, We Bow Down. We bow down and confess. Don't make me sing it. You know the one I mean, don't you? Yeah? Good. And as I did so, I, I found myself watching the 10,000 times 10,000 in heaven, the angels, heavenly choir. See? And as our little group of 30 bowed in worship in our hearts, the whole of heaven's 10,000 times 10,000 bowed. 
You see, God was showing me in picture form the truth of the power of his church on earth. It affects the heavenlies. Wow. Wow. So, we come to chapter 3, the spirit-filled unity of people. Because of the power, depth, and breadth of the good news message, Paul says, I kneel. Where's my Bible? Because of all I've said to you, says Paul, because of the unity of the church, because of the potential that you have, because I'm so excited, says Paul, with what you can be, because of all this, for these reasons that I've just been talking about in chapters 1 and 2, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family and heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Strengthen, my first thought to you, strengthened to know God's riches, verse 16. Strengthened to know God's riches. In the 18th century, there was an Anglican minister called John Wesley. Written a few hymns in his time. A man who was ordained into the Anglican ministry in 1726. He even undertook a two-year missionary trip to Savannah, Georgia in America in 1736. This was a man of God, don't get me wrong. He's a man of God. Already a devout Christian, Wesley writes these words in his diary for May the 24th, 1738. This is a man who's walking with Christ. He's been out on the mission field as well. About quarter before nine, while he, that's the man reading the preface to Luther's commentary on the book of Romans, was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ Jesus, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ alone for salvation and an assurance was given to me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. What he knew, says me tapping my head, at that meeting, he knew, says me, Tapping my heart. What a difference. Then again, the following January after that, this devout Christian writes these words. 1st of January, 1739. We were present together for the love feast, the communion. The love feast in Fetter Lane. That's just off Fleet Street where they used to have all the printing, newspaper prints, you know, in London. Um, we were together for the love feast in Fetter Lane with about 60 of our brethren. About three in the morning, my life, I can't pray for that long. About three in the morning, as we were continuing instant in prayer, the power of God came mightily upon us. Insomuch that many cried out for exulting joy and many fell to the ground. As soon as we were recovered a little from the awe and amazement at the presence of the presence of his majesty, 
We broke out with one voice. We praise thee, O God, and we acknowledge thee to be the Lord. I make the point again that all those gathered there were already followers of Jesus Christ. Yet something more happened to them. I don't care if you're 20 or 80 or older, come to that. Today is a new day and tomorrow will still be a new day. As I said, I think it was yesterday. It must have been yesterday. One thing we're allowed to be greedy for is Jesus. We're allowed to be greasy for his spirit. We're allowed to be greedy for more of the Lord always. We can always say more, Lord. That's the thing. This man of God, missionary, everything. Now look at again at what Paul writes here in Ephesians chapter 3. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. And that when you're rooted and established in love, you may have power together with all the saints collective thing again to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God this is not a guilt trip this morning for being something we're not this is a revelation that there's always more if I can leave you with a hunger for more of God this morning I'll have done my job we read in our Bibles that Paul's praise out of his glorious riches God may strengthen you with power through his spirit. A more literal translation would be this, that according to his glorious riches he may empower you to become mighty. That's the literal translation. Empower you to become mighty through his spirit in your inner being. This is the fullness of the grace of God through salvation. That you may become mighty through his spirit. Not in your strength, but through the outpouring of the spirit of God. Who I'm trying to say to you, it's constantly available. Martin Lloyd-Jones was uh, once asked why he, kept, why he kept on about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, well the problem is, he says, I leak. You see, spirit of God flows through us. The ministration of God for others. More, Lord. More. I'm 70 in a few months' time, December. If you really want to know, I can, I'm birthday presents, so I'll give you the date. But <laughs> came to know Jesus, though I'd, I'd been a, uh, a believer in my head since a very young child. I became a Christian when I was 17. Long story, but I won't bore you with my testimony right now. But I can still say after all these years, I know there's more. Whatever revelation, truth, knowledge of God in my heart that God gives me today, the own, one of the things it tells me is I know there's more. When I receive from God today and I'm lost in wonder, love and praise to my God and my Saviour, I'm left knowing there's more. I'm a greedy son of a gun. To be strengthened out of his glorious riches gives a sense that God, out of his own resources, will give something to strengthen us. Yes, 
according to his riches. The sense that God is drawing on the whole panoply of his resources. He's not holding back. The problem is never him. If you want to know the answer to how to grow and what's holding up, just go home, go into the bathroom and look in the mirror. That's it. It is really. We hold back. This fullness of God is something that John Wesley was expressing when 60 Christians met for communion one night in Fetter Lane. The power of God came mightily upon us insomuch that many cried out for exulting joy and many fell to the ground. Why is it so many of Wesley's hymns are still sung today? Because they're full of the Spirit. They were written out of revelation, not simply theology. That's the thing. Note the Apostle Paul has been speaking about such unity in chapters 1 and 2. Let's stay in contact. That's what it's about. It's in a place of unity that this happens. Look. We talk about how difficult it is, certainly in this country, to see people come to know Jesus and we keep saying the problem is, is, is it's theirs, you know. We've got this sort of culture, that sort of culture, we're a post-Christian culture, blah de blah de blah blah You know, we keep going on about it. No, 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 no. Get the mirror out again, will you? When did the gospel lose its power? Tell me that. Give me a date. When did Jesus lose his power? Please tell me when. You see the ministration of Jesus in his lifetime. You see the disciples. You see the, the whole story and the spread of the church of Acts. It wasn't for then, but not now. The gospel has lost none of its power. You see, what the people out there are saying, if we can see what you're proclaiming, we'll believe it. You see, we talk about the power, the glory, the wonder of God. And then they look at us and say, well, you ain't got it. And so they don't come in. Friends, it's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. Unity is the ground for Pentecostal power. No church was complete until Pentecostal power was known constantly in its midst. Talk about being filled with the Spirit. That was a one-off occasion at Pentecost. What are you talking about? Read your Bibles. Post, post the resurrection in John 20 and verse 22, Jesus comes and breathes on his, on his disciples and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Job done. But in Acts 2, verse 1 following, of course, we've got the story of Pentecost. What happens? Spirit comes upon the disciples. They're filled with his spirit. They go out and 3,000 plus others come to Christ. Oh. Hang on a bit. Then you get to Acts 4 with Peter and John in prison. And when they come out because God releases them and they go and meet the disciples, they pray, pray that, uh, that they will be given the power to proclaim the gospel which Paul and John has been put in prison for. And the Spirit of God came upon them in power. You see? It's not a one-off. It's a keep-drinking job. 
I've had some great food here this weekend. Boy, you cooks. I think I put on a few pounds, actually, but um, never mind. It was great. But I tell you what, I had some great food yesterday, but I did feel the need to have something before I came out this morning for breakfast. And I'll probably have something again tomorrow. Well, probably later on as well, and tomorrow. You know, my plan is to eat every day best I can because I need to. I need to. You don't get filled once by the Spirit. It's not a one-off thing. It's a constant reliance on Jesus Christ and the reliance on the power of his Spirit, Spirit of God, God himself on us and moving through us, transforming us, changing us, and in unity... What do people see? You know what they're looking for out there? They're not looking for a church with pretty signs and lovely paintwork. I'm not saying actually they don't count. Presentation does. But there's something more important than that. What they're looking for is the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God on earth at a manifestation is supposed to be his local community. They want to see an alternative to what they've got out there. Billions a year are spent on the lottery because people want to get out of what they've got out there. And they're spending billions out there because when they look at what should be all the alternative society, the kingdom of God, they can't find it anywhere. They don't know it's the kingdom of God they're looking for, but it is. They would come running. There is so much to have in Christ. Strengthened to know God, baptised in the Spirit. What's a dangerous phrase to use, isn't it? I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being. Through your inner being, literally meaning your inner man. It was a phrase immediately understandable in the Greek culture of Paul's day. When the Greeks talked about the inner man, they referred to the, the threefold awareness of effect upon a man in his reason, upon his conscience, and upon his will. We might say, understood, convicted, we choose. Paul's prayer is that the Ephesians would knowingly understand what was available in Christ. Knowingly understand what was available in Christ. They would be convinced to quest that with all their hearts. They would willfully choose to hunger after it. That's what Paul wants. He wants a heartfelt quest. Although Wesley and his Christian brethren may not have known exactly what to expect, they were convinced that there was more. Hungering for God. Friends, are you hungering for God this morning? It's the only true way to arrive can I lovingly suggest to you that your time for coming together like this on a Sunday, or indeed any time really, but certainly on a Sunday under the word of God, shouldn't start at the doors of this church. Factor in time with God before you leave your home. Really, really, really. Tune in you like to God and his presence afresh before you come here you then come receptive it's a wonderful thing 
his prayer carries his prayer from Paul here carries a, a strange request at first glance that Christ may dwell in your hearts. He's writing to Christians. The word that is used here, I'm not going to bother you with the Greek, but the word that is used here has an, a sense of permanence about it. Now he's writing to believers who've been brought to life by the Spirit of God himself. Okay. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, Romans 8, 9, he does not belong to Christ, but they do. All right, so let's get that clear. So we know the believers, these followers had the Spirit of God. Yet here in Ephesians 3, 16, 17, Paul prays that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Don't forget the more and more of Jesus. Paul's prayer is not that the Ephesians Christians may have Holy Spirit God. They already have him. He's already done his work of recreation. Paul's prayer is that Christ may dwell well, that there may be a permanency, an ever-abiding awareness and presence of God in your heart and mind. You know? It's not something we simply do on a Sunday. When my brother was younger, well, one of my brothers, I've got three brothers, three sisters, but when one of my brothers was younger, he used to work on the milk floats. Remember the electric milk floats that used to go around? And he'd go out with the milk float and he'd drive around town, he'd deliver his milk, he'd come back almost with a flat battery, reverse in, plug into the milk float in and let it charge overnight and off he'd go. Friends, don't have a milk float Christianity. Whereby you reverse into church feeling pretty empty on a Sunday, plug yourself in wait for the pastor and the worship team to energise you and get you going for the week and then you pull the plug out when you leave and I hope you've got enough energy to last you until next Sunday don't become a milk float Christianity, Christian you know what we're supposed to do you see when, when you know Jesus you're given a wheelbarrow you see and in that wheelbarrow that's filled up ideally, through the week with the knowledge of Christ and all he's doing in your life. And you arrive here with his wheelbarrow full up. Full up with the life you have in Christ. And you come here and you tip it out. And wow do you worship. See you come full. You leave overflowing. Greedy so-and-sos. I mean that's the way it's supposed to be. That's the church at work. That's the church knowing, over, strengthened to know God's riches, baptised in the Spirit. Now, knowing the greatness of God. Paul writes to the Romans, a man is not a Jew, Romans 2, 28, 29, if he's only one outwardly. He's, only a Jew, he's not a Jew if, he, if he's just one outwardly. Nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. And God says that right through the Old Testament. No, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit, not by just a written code. There's much one could say about these verses, but in connection with our study of Paul here, I want you to know that it's possible to worship God with our minds or our hearts. 
many people know about God. Friends, I'm not asking you if you know about God. I knew about Christ all my life. I've never doubted that Christ was God came to earth who died for my sins on a cross and was raised to life and that my salvation is in him. I used to defend that message as a kid of seven. I remember doing it. But you know, I didn't know Jesus. I knew of him. And I believed the truth of it. But I wasn't knowing it. Sorry about that. That's the thing. You see? I'm not asking you if you know about Jesus. I'm not asking you if if you've got a degree in theology. I'm not asking you if you've been to Bible school. I'm not asking you if you could uh, reasonably tick a scripture union test. I'm not asking you that. I'm not asking you to uh, recite your creed of belief. I'm not. I'm saying, do you know him? Do you know him? Does he put goosebumps up down your back? Does he drive you to your knees in wonder as you're lost in praise before the lip? Do you know him? I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, that means together, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to measure of the fullness of God. Knowing. In the Old Testament, that word know, yada, in Hebrew. Don't think it just here. You see, Abraham was promised a child through Sarah and and eventually and it says and Abraham knew his wife and she had a child you know what I mean by no I'm going to explain myself have I you see it's about an intimate connection it's not the knowledge of in your head I think Abraham knew the biology of reproduction. That wasn't the issue. But there was an intimacy in which God was present, which brought brought forth fruit. Paul wants them to know, to have that intimate connection with God. When he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. The spirit of God working in our hearts. We may know the truth in our heads. There's nothing wrong with knowledge. But it dwells in our hearts. Strengthened to know God's riches, baptized in the Spirit, knowing the greatness of God. Can I just say, filled to overflowing? Back to John Wesley for a minute. When recording what happened to him and his 60 followers, remember, the power of God came mightily upon us. Oh, wow. Insomuch that many cried out for exulting joy and many fell to the ground. I'm not advocating people dive into the carpet every two minutes. It's not that. But sometimes, sometimes... Under the power of God. It's, you see, the word glory in Hebrew, at its most basic, simply means weight. The heaviness of God. 
Sometimes there's such an overwhelming sense and presence of God, it drives us to our knees. We just can't stand under the weight of his glory. And that's what they experienced, filled to overflowing. They couldn't take the weight anymore. At Pentecost, we read that after Peter preached under the power of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they were cut to the heart and cried out. The power of God came on them. There was an overflowing move of God in Jerusalem that day that swept over literally thousands of people. In Acts 19, Paul in Ephesus meets with a group of disciples who clearly seem to not have a complete grasp of the fullness of Christ through his Holy Spirit. He shares a full gospel with them, which includes a message concerning the infilling of God in their lives. And it says, they were strengthened with power. When Paul placed his hands on those apostles, on those men, I should say, in Ephesus, in Acts 19, when he placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them. They spoke in tongues and prophesied. There was about 12 of them in all. The Spirit of God came on the whole lot. There was an overflowing move of God in Ephesus that day. So now Paul says to them in his letter that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. To know this love that surpasses knowledge. That's a contradiction in terms. To know a love of Christ that is beyond knowing. To know the love of Christ that is beyond knowing. It means to be aware of the greatness that we'll never ever for the whole of eternity comprehend. That's it. I say again. Do you know him? Do you know him? Have you met with him? Have you seen his glory? Have you come under the power of his word like that? Have you cried out in your sinfulness for a mercy you don't deserve? Have you done that? Have you known the refreshing sense of the power of God filling you to overflowing? Do you know him? Do you know him? That's the church that will see Camrose come alive. That's the kingdom of God. And that's what God wants to do. He's not calling you to do it. He wants to do it in you by his grace, by his power, by his mercy, by his love, by his spirit. It's his spirit, his very nature, his very presence that will do the work. We have to say, come. We have to say, come. You know, there are some things that cannot be taught, they have to be caught. Caught, that spirit of the knowledge of Christ, intimate communion in our lives, dwelling in us. In that position, we are now open to hunger and thirst for him, to be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Paul's always doing this. I call it super superlatives. He takes a superlative, which is, which is to say the greatest way you can talk about something, and then he adds a phrase to it in, in, in Greek. 
It's very difficult to catch it in the English, but I call them super superlatives. He just can't get across the greatness of what he's trying to say. Not one of us can operate like that, but we can. Get it? That overflowingness, that overflowingness of Christ in our lives. That's it. Spirit of God welling up to eternal life in us. A spring of water welling up, rising up within us. That you may know to be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Filled to the fullness and overflowing nature to this. Completes his prayer. Given not by the hand of man, but the hand of God. There's a knowledge of Jesus here that is not taught, but caught. God is here. Paul closes his prayer with a glorious doxology to God in verse 20. Now to him who is able. Don't go over those three words. To him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. More, Lord, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church. To him be glory in the church. That's where the glory is to dwell. That's what these streets out here are looking for. They're saying, show me the glory of God. Let me see the alternative to what this nation has got. They're going to hell in a handbasket. Not because they're so bad from any previous generation. They're all bad. But they're going to hell in a handbasket because they can't see the kingdom of God anywhere. The problem is not out there. You start with revival, then you get to resurrection. Revival for his church, resurrection out there. That's the order of things, people. Not as God recognizes his doxology, his greatness, but it doesn't stop there. Because of God's greatness, this doxology recognizes what is possible of God. What is possible of God in his church. This is what he wants for Camrose, for every church in his country. This is what he wants for Camrose. Not even a special work. He just wants us to be ordinary Christians, normal Christians. Working as Christ all. That's why he died for his glory to be in his church. And that's what it's all about. That's all he has for you today. His glory, his power, his more. More, Lord Jesus. Change me. Renew me. Cleanse this sinner. How can I do it, Lord? I know you and I walk with you and still I turn from you. Cleanse this sinner. Fill me afresh today. How can I do Lord, come. Come. 
Let me be all that you have destined me to be. He woke you up from sleep this morning to be everything for him. He woke up his church from sleep this morning that you would be that kingdom church here. That's why he woke you up. That was his purpose for you. Amen. I'd love us to respond with a, with just maybe just the one song, please, if you would, to start. And then I'm, I think the most important thing is not to have people at the front right at the very start of this, but to see ourselves as one church, one body under Christ, in Christ. And when we've sung, we stay standing. And I'm going to ask for the greatness of the of the greatness and the glory of God to fall on this place. There's fire in heaven waiting to be poured out upon this church this morning. But let's stand to sing. Thanks for listening. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. If you want more information about Camrose Baptist Church, visit our website, www.camrosebc.org.uk. Follow us on Instagram at Camrose Baptist Church and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Camrose Baptist Church Edgeware.